0: This is your itinerary for travel and photography with your host, Rob Knight.
1: Hi, this is Doug K from the All About the Gear podcast here on the TWIP Network. I just want to let you know that I still have a few openings for my workshop in Cuba in early November. For more information, head on over to dougkaye.com workshops. Thanks. Welcome to your itinerary. My name is Rob Knight, and this is episode number 34. And today features an interview with Don Komarechka, and Don is a nature photographer, educator, and author that I'm sure the TWIP audience is well familiar with. Um, Don has been on This weekend Photo as much as any other guest host that I can think of. And uh, actually, I was talking to Don while I hosted This weekend Photo a few weeks ago about his trip to Eastern Europe. And he started showing me some amazing photographs of these crazy buildings in the middle of nowhere. And uh, so I wanted him to come on my show and talk about his traveling to Bulgaria and some of the spots that he visits there. I've got a couple things coming up this August that I wanted to talk to you about. I figured you like traveling and making pictures, and I like traveling and making pictures, so maybe we should hang out. I've got the Colorado Photo Adventure, August 7th through the 9th, and uh, that is with my buddy Rick Garrity and I, and we do a little three-day road trip, and we're going to explore Colorado's pioneer past. We'll be shooting trains and... Ghost towns and old mines and all that kind of stuff. That'll be a lot of fun. And you can find out about that at digitalphotoadventures.com. And I just found out last week that I will be attending the Photoshop World Conference in Las Vegas. And on Monday, August 10th, I will be hosting a photo walk for my friends at Photodex. They're the pro show people. And uh, we're going to be doing that on Monday evening. And then I will be doing some demos in the Photodex booth on the 11th and the 12th. So hopefully I'll see you either in Colorado or in Las Vegas in August. And now here's Don komarechka Hey Don, how's it going,
0: man? Hey Rob, thanks so much for having me on.
1: I'm sure my listeners are are well familiar with you probably more than they are for me just as much as you're on Twip. So, um I'm I'm sure your introduction goes farther than it needs to on my show, but um we were actually on Twip together the other night and you were telling me about a trip that you're taking this weekend, right? And um Once you started showing me pictures of that, I I had to get you on the show to talk about this this crazy place that you're going. So tell us a little bit about that.
0: Well, okay, so uh, this will be my fourth trip out to Eastern Europe, and uh, Eastern Europe has a lot of wonderful treasures. It's a beautiful place to travel. Uh, Things are not very expensive, Uh, and there's a lot of culture, a lot of friendly people if you know where to go. Uh, But you know, there's a few things to worry about as well. But uh, you know, four times seems a little bit obsessive to the same country, but uh, my wife is originally from there, so this trip we're going back for a wedding. So perfect excuse to maybe uh, duck out for a couple of days, go on a, a few photographic adventures. And uh, last year we had gone there for our honeymoon, and uh, just rented a car and drove across the entire country. Uh, and in about a week, we we could do that. We missed a lot of stuff. We want to go back to a few more. Um, but there's a couple of locations, and I think Rob, I was showing you some pictures of at least one of them the other day that, uh, are fairly iconic. Uh, it, it, borders on sort of urban exploration and questionable trespassing, but I, I think it's worthwhile if you're in these regions to not pass up these kinds of opportunities.
1: Sure. And, and you mentioned iconic buildings and I'll admit, I don't really know much about Bulgaria. Um, what are the kinds of things that, that the typical travel in Bulgaria is going to see? Is it going to be more, um, cityscapes? Is it going to be more villages and, and landscape kind of stuff or what?
0: there's a couple of big cities. So if you're by the coast, uh, which we're going to is Varna, Bulgaria, uh, beautiful coastal city. The country's got mountain ranges all throughout it as well. So it's really fun to drive through. Um, and, uh, it, it's funny because there's, there's no posted speed limits. You just have to know that when you're inside of a city, it's 50 kilometers an hour. And when you're outside of a city, it's 90 kilometers an hour. And then there's, a, I think up to 140 kilometers an hour on the freeways. Hmm. Um, which is pretty fast. Uh, that that's getting, uh, that's about 90 miles an hour on the freeways, uh, maybe a little bit faster, but, uh, so when you're driving through these mountains, uh, you're going to encounter a lot of little villages and a lot of hairpin turns, but the speed limit is you're technically 90 kilometers an hour, but it's unsafe to drive any faster than about 30 or 35. Uh, so, you know, there, there's some adventures even just getting from one point to another, but there's, um, Three mountain ranges, I think, uh, the coast of the Black Sea, and a lot of stuff in between from uh, monasteries to uh, t- I think three or four really big cities, um, and then tons of villages all you know, uh, sparse throughout. And, uh, you know, Bulgaria was um, part of the Soviet Union, uh, or, well, not, it was in the Soviet bloc. I don't think it was technically part of the Union, but uh, in, when i am show you some pictures in a minute, this building is clearly, uh, you know, influenced by that. Um, They were on the uh, Axis side of World War II. Uh, So they were uh, at least politically aligned uh, with Germany uh, during that era. And uh, before that, uh, they were conquered by the Ottoman Empire. And so there's a lot of storied history. You have to go back quite a ways before you unveil uh the uh the, the true culture and uh and and the the character of the country but it's still there and it doesn't take a lot to find it and uh you know my wife being from there speaking the language she she knows what food to order when we go to the uh, the restaurants and um but she didn't really travel much in her own country and I think that we're all kind of guilty of this as well because uh you know you, you don't explore what's in your own backyard. So right. when I wanted to go on some of these adventures, she was she was for it. Um and uh, I looked online and I found this one monument that was uh you know in the middle of nowhere uh, it, it's a symbolic mountain uh where i think it's where the uh the, the russian army came across uh into bulgaria to help free them from the ottoman empire so there's history here on this mountain peak um but it was built as the um uh, uh i guess the headquarters of the communist party of bulgaria and i I, just, I have to show you this this building here rob i'm gonna do a screen share um and uh, I'll, I'll show you uh, our first uh, our first adventure going through this particular region. Um, so you should be able to, uh, to 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 see me there and, and to see this is uh, in, the, in the background that that's the building that we're talking about. And uh, so walking up to this, I mean, you, you can walk here. You can actually drive around the other side. The first time we didn't know that. Um, and so we. we uh come across this building that looks like a, a a spaceship uh you know that's just parked on the top of a mountain. There is nothing else around for miles um and you know when you get up to this thing now this is the way it looked when we had first uh, arrived, and you can see these doors that are open here in the front. We were able to to go inside uh from that perspective and uh, and get in There's tons of graffiti uh, all over it and um but it it's just a spectacular place. it's a beautiful uh mountain range vista. Um, that looks great at sunset, and you've got this one sort of landmark that uh, that, that, that you can be attracted to uh, to go in and do that.
1: But Now, now for those of uh, the listeners who are listening on the podcast, you've got to go on to thisweekinphoto.com and watch this video and see these pictures because <laughs> it really looks like the set of uh, somewhere between Men in Black and The Sound of Music. I mean, it's it's really... Uh, just some crazy-looking uh, scenery. And it looks like you're in the middle of nowhere. I mean, where? how far is this from civilization? How far do you have to drive to get to this place?
0: Uh, well, I mean, not that far, maybe about a half hour to 45 minutes away from, uh, from, from a habitable place. Uh, you can choose to drive over the mountain through the Shipka Pass, which uh, is like, You know, 50 to 60 hairpin turns, which is, you know, a a lot of fun if if you like driving. Um, But a lot of the um, uh, barriers along the edges of the uh, the roads have eroded with the cliff. And so the roads are kind of uh, difficult to get uh, get through. In, uh, in in sometimes people come here in the winter time though so it, it is accessible huh. um but uh so we would have to go in through the front so this is inside the building and by the way i'm pretty sure this is a state-owned structure and so trespassing in a state-owned building in uh, in bulgaria is probably frowned upon although a lot of people do it if you saw you've got this uh little kind of uh window here this hole in the door uh that you could climb through through, at least on our first visit, uh, and then start exploring uh, the structure from there. And then, as you were to, to walk upstairs, you'd see the uh, the inner area. And, and I'll save that for a minute because I, I do want to show you on our second uh, our second visit through here. Uh, you'll notice that um, the, uh, the they tried to clean up all the graffiti. Uh, but then, as we got there, we encountered a guy who was spray painting this uh, this wonderful artwork, uh, saying "Enjoy communism" in the font of "Enjoy Coca Cola." and uh the the doors that we could previously get in through are, are now closed up we can't get in there so we would have to climb through this hole um in the side of the structure
1: now how big is that hole it looks like it's two feet wide it doesn't you know, it looks if, like if a tiny little hole
0: follow, you, you might not fit uh <laughs> About two feet wide is probably accurate. It wouldn't be much bigger than that. Uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm carrying all my camera gear with me. And so I throw it all up in there first. And, um, and then I, I, I did record some video of it uh, just as we were walking through. And I don't know how well this is going to come across um, on that. So that's the, the hole that we kind of came through. And, uh, and so here's the stairs. Uh, you can see some remnants of uh, red velvet that were lining different areas. And you'll see right around the corner, to our surprise... Uh, hey, look, there's, there's more tourists. This is actually something of a tourist destination. <laughs> just break into this building and go and explore. We met more English-speaking people in this building than we did anywhere else in the country. Wow. Uh, and so then we come in, and as soon as you go up these stairs, this is where the sort of the real magical moment happens, where you see this beautiful domed structure that is covered with fresco mosaics uh, all around the the outside, and the roof is just, Phenomenal. Uh, this is what the, uh, the, the final photo on our first visit ended up being. Wow. And, uh, and so you've got uh, some beautifully destroyed artwork. You've got the hammer and sickle uh, uh, on that. And in the center there, the, the words uh, in an uh, old Bulgarian uh, say, proletarians of the world unite. And so it's, it's, it's a, it's a remarkably destroyed, uh, building. I went back, I made this image again, uh, when they cleaned it up, uh, which was pretty hard to do. This is a, uh, this is a grid panorama with a fisheye lens, uh, wow. doing architecture. So I think somebody went in and cleaned it all up, but, uh, it's, uh, it's kind of a fun location to uh, to go in and, and, and visit. All right. And and what,
1: so- what was that room used for? Do you know, it, it basically looks like a gymnasium. It looks like, uh. A- uh,
0: yeah, well, it, kind of. It's uh, it, it was a place where they would hold uh, political uh, speeches and award ceremonies, and uh, like th- this was their, their great hall kind of thing. Sure. Um, and so they, uh, you know, they, they built this in the uh, um early '80s, and with the fall of the Soviet Union, uh, the entire thing was just abandoned and looted, and uh, it hasn't really amounted to uh, to much else of anything. As I mentioned, uh, we met other people inside. Right. And one of them says, "Okay, well, we're going to go up the tower now. Uh, And if you remember, uh, you know, from uh, from from images like this, there's this giant tower uh, in the distance here. And it's got this star on the top. And it's very uh,
1: Star Trek, too, with the the star, (laughs) the elongated uh, star on the tower.
0: And so I said, well, you know, is, is it dangerous? And the guy said, well, you know, only if you fall. I said, well, okay, f- fair enough. <laughs> and so there we go, go up this tower, which is like, it, it's 26 flights of stairs up this concrete coffin. Uh, and there's no light whatsoever as you're going up. But as you get closer to the top, you can start to see this is the view out through the star and, and sort of the beautiful landscape uh, that uh, sort of it encompasses that. And, uh, and then here was another one that, uh, when we were right up at the very top, this is a, a vertical fisheye panorama to get the top of the tower, the structure, the landscape, the clouds, everything else. Whoa, and man. this is one of the frames. And I thought, yeah, this is great, but I got to do it justice. I really have to, uh, you know, put a panorama together with that and, uh, and, and create that this one here, actually, if you look closely, there's one of the guys hanging out the bottom of it. <laughs> uh, and that's, uh, that, that's Andy. He, uh, he, uh, helped me take a couple of pictures on the way, so he was a great guy. Wow. But uh, <laughs> so, I mean, <laughs> traveling through these areas is—it's a lot of fun. Uh, but it's also—I yeah, I am breaking rules when I do this. There is no question, and I, I don't want to encourage people to to go out there and uh, and get themselves in jail. But you know, uh, for every risk, there is a reward, and uh, and so uh, choose your own limits, I suppose. Sure. So so the star is—is is it red glass? Is that it whatever? is red glass i, I actually took a uh, took a piece of it because they were just you know crumbs on on the ground wow um, and so i've got a little piece of that that i might put in a frame with one of the photographs of it uh, just as a little added memento of it but it, it, it's yeah it's completely destroyed um there are other areas that have uh, like if you if you look at the outside ring of the uh, of the structure um all of these uh, fresco mosaics are you know they're they're falling apart and they probably won't be there. Their structure is, is not sound. It, it's, it's going to be falling apart even more so. Um, but the artwork is really quite remarkable and you just see it all in crumbs on, on the ground. And so I took a couple of, uh, of those two just tiles, a, a couple of those tiles as a, as a little memento.
1: Now was, um, was the mosaic in color before and it's washed out or was it, is it a, it looks yeah, like it's a monochromatic
0: a mosaic. Area. Uh, these guys here are all in color. Um, <laughs> And uh, you could see, I think w- this is one of the, uh, the, the leaders of the Communist Party in Bulgaria that paid somebody to go and remove his face from, uh, from the, uh, the artwork uh, after the fall so that he could continue his political career and try to distance himself from it. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, so yeah, you, you see um, th- there's color there. And, uh, and on the inside or the, the outside there, there's no color. But the, the point of all of this is um, to, to go and explore something that very few people see. And, and I find that when I'm traveling, I want to find those locations that are off the beaten path. I don't like, I mean, I will photograph the Eiffel Tower, um, but I'd rather find my way into someplace a little bit more interesting. Uh, and, and so, you know, these kinds of locations, uh, they, they satisfy my, my photographic craving for that unseen world uh, imagery.
1: Sure. And... So you mentioned there was a ton of English-speaking people there and a lot of tourists. How would somebody find out about this place? Is this just something if you search Bulgaria photos on five hundred px, this comes up? Or, or oh, I'm how sure you uh, well,
0: if, if you type in uh, you know Bulgaria UFO building or something like that, I'm sure you'd find it because spelling Buzelja is a little bit difficult, uh, which is the actual name of the uh, of the building. But yeah. Uh, If you look for it, you'll find it and uh, you can pin it on a map and, you know, the GPS on a car will take you right there. Um, You will have to rent a car or jump in with somebody uh, to get there. I doubt a taxi would take you there and wait for you. Uh, And of course, there's no bus service. But so you kind of have to take a little bit of initiative. Um, If you're uh, in the Western world, Bulgaria drives on the same side of the road as we do in North America. So, uh, you know, it's not scary to to go and rent a car and, and drive off to these places. Um, but it, it, it's a country that has a lot to offer. Uh, a lot of Eastern Europe does. And uh, a couple of years ago, I think it was in 09, we had gone across, uh, we'd gone across Europe and just, uh, you know, trains and buses and what have you. And the further we went West, the more expensive and the less interesting things got the further we were East, uh, Bulgaria, Romania, especially, um, uh, it, that, that was where the magic was. And so, you know, we going through the, uh, just renting a car and driving through the hills you know here's an infrared photograph of a a church in the middle of nowhere that's abandoned and uh, so you know you just you just drive and you see what you can find and you never know what you're going to come across Uh, we put a bunch of uh, dots on a map things that we would want to hit sometimes we did sometimes we didn't and so uh, we ended up in this one place where we hired a guy with a a fairly beefed up truck to drive us uh, to the top of this mountain peak here uh, at sunrise, and um, you know, it's called the Eagle's Eye, and so there, there's our classic honeymoon photograph. These are the places that I take my wife to uh, on, on our honeymoon. Um, but you know, th- these are the things that you you're not going to see uh, if you're looking in a tourist brochure. If you're traveling based on uh, any pre-booked tours, you have to go and seek these locations out uh, in order to to have some fun, to have some adventures. Let's say.
1: Absolutely. And it helps to, to marry a woman who speaks the language. And, oh, yeah. yeah.
0: Especially because <laughs> it's funny because we, we sit down at a restaurant and they give me an English menu because they hear me speaking English. The prices were more expensive on the English menu than they were on the Bulgarian menu. Nice. Uh, but I guess that's to be expected, I suppose. Sure. And so, uh, yeah, you know, it, it, it's fun. Uh, they are... <sighs> They are very courteous people, um, and even if uh, I was just speaking English, there's a lot of people will learn English as a second language there. So you're not there's not a complete language barrier. A lot, pretty much every young person will speak at least some English, um, and so you can get by uh, and, and and communicate at the very least. And, you know, I, I mentioned things are cheap in these areas. They, they really, truly are. Um, you know, w- when we're traveling around, like, you know, let's say we're just sitting down on the street in Varna and then there's this guy just sort of spinning some fire around. We're sitting off at a restaurant um, or when <laughs> we, we booked a hotel once and um, uh, we, we knew at that point that things were cheap, so we were going to spend it up. And so we asked for their best room, which was their kind of penthouse suite, the top floor of this uh, small, small hotel. Um, And, uh, you know, they might've had 20 rooms or so. And so, uh, the room cost us 70 leva, which is about in Canadian, probably about 55 bucks in us. That's probably closer to $45, uh, for the room. And then, uh, the meal, you know, three course meal, two bottles of wine, you name it. Um, uh, that, that bill came to about 30 or 40 leva, which is like 20 bucks us. And, (laughs) you know, it's, uh, you can do a lot with very little and, uh, and, and we have a lot of fun with that. That and, sounds you know, like it, and I love doing night photography when I travel too. Because you know, when you're seeing foreign cityscapes, you know whether it's sort of in a construction zone or the the seaside. Because you know, I love water. I love the the reflections. I love the lights. I love the architecture in that kind of stuff, and it's fun. But then you come across some weird stuff, uh, Rob. Like like this one right here. This this was one of those puzzling shots that I could never really. Um, uh, get anybody to properly guess what the heck this is. And I'm going to put you on the spot, Rob. Do you have any idea uh, what this is in the sky above this church?
1: It looks like, let me, let me lock your screen here so I can see and talk. It looks like somebody swinging around LED rope lights. Is what is. I'm sure that's not what it is.
0: Yeah, uh, not what it is. If I zoom in, do you get any better idea? Um, No. <laughs> no, okay. I give up. Uh, so I, I saw a photographic opportunity here when, um, when I was uh, when I was standing here and looking at uh, these birds flying around in the sky. Ah. Uh, so those are some kind of a gull, and they're just flying around. I guess the light from the church that's beaming into the air is also lighting up the insects in the sky, and the birds are eating them. That, that's my best guess as to why there's birds flying around the church. And so uh yeah it's birds birds flying around creating an image like this.
1: Interesting. So they're and, white birds, are gulls you said?
0: Yeah, yeah they're white so they uh, white the birds pretty the uh, the light is is orange uh or yellowish tone so it, that uh, gets into the birds and reflects back. And so you know it's yeah you have to kind of keep your creative uh hat on at all times because you never know when you're going to see an opportunity like this and you have to think outside the box. Um <laughs> I I am one when I'm traveling to uh to, to just bring everything, the kitchen sink with me. And I regret it afterwards, but you know, there's some opportunities that I, you know, th- that I, I would have otherwise missed. Like some of my favorite macro shots were taken in a village in Bulgaria. This is a hoverfly Um, that, because I had my macro lens with me, you know, throw that on the camera and, and go around and, and try and uh, shoot some of the interesting flowers. Uh, because of course they're, uh, I'm not going to have those around the house at home. Um, and my wife and I were, we're in Istanbul, which, uh, uh, Turkey and uh, Bulgaria share a border. So we're, we're sitting in Istanbul and we're looking over the, uh, the, the beautiful uh, waterways and, and sort of the architecture at a nice cafe. And we just ordered some Turkish coffee. And uh, I, I look down at my coffee and I see uh, these very colorful bubbles in it. And I look at my wife and I look back at the bubbles and I look at my wife again. And by this point, she knows that, you know, don't take a sip of your coffee because, uh, you know, I'm going to take with the camera with the lens, the macro lens, and I'm going to get in there. Everybody's going to look at us like we're crazy. Um, (laughs) But I got these wonderful um, images of uh, thin film interference on um, on bubbles in this uh, Turkish coffee. And so (laughs) I'm glad I'm prepared for everything, although I really regret it afterwards. I really need to get some later camera gear uh, or at the very least convince myself to leave some of it at home right well and you're you're pretty much known for
1: that kind of thing for getting the shots that a lot of us don't see and we really couldn't see with our naked eye like like you mentioned macro and infrared and obviously your snowflake photography that's that's not something that the rest of us are walking around oh look at the snowflakes i'm going to take microscopic photos of those right so um do you think you're you're sort of more prone to see things like the film on bubbles in a cup of coffee because of the work that you do normally is have you sort of trained yourself to do that or, or are there um is there any tips you can share for people to that want to look beyond what would be a normal travel photograph and um and sort of find those things that most people don't see
0: yeah uh as long as it doesn't seem too scary walk down some alleyways you know d- don't necessarily stay on the main streets you know look into the details that other people are passing by, you know, when everybody is uh, crowded around a statue to take a picture of it, do a 180 and photograph, you know, the old lady walking down the street right next to it um, and, and find find the ignored things. And, and yes, I've trained myself to do that. But I think every photographer should um, don't look for what everybody else is taking a photo of. But beyond that, I would say in order to make a great travel photo, uh, stop labeling your subject. I mean, of course, you're going to have to define what you're taking a picture of and you're going to have to tell a story with that, hopefully. But once you've done that, forget about what it actually is and just look at it in terms of lines and shapes and colors and figure out what to add and what to remove. And then if you walk around with the idea, thinking of lines and shapes and colors, that's when you discover a lot of these things that if you were labeling it as, oh, you know, that's just a garbage can or, oh, that's just a bubble, um, you're not going to find the photographic value in it because you're not finding the, uh, the intrinsic value in your everyday life within the subject. But it still could make a beautiful photograph.
1: Sure, I agree. I find a lot of times when people begin to think that way and begin to think in terms of line and shape, They don't get close enough you know they they start thinking in those terms and like well yeah but this is just a door but that's not specific enough you know what i mean like you need to get in on the wood grain and in the paneling in the door and that that starts to get interesting, you know, or rather if than the just door
0: is unlocked or open a little bit. Maybe just kick it with your foot and see what's inside and then photograph the inside framed with the door around it. Uh, you know, or if there's a window or something, you can choose to uh, to take just a small piece of the subject. Because, again, uh, when we're looking at photographs, one of the things that kills a lot of travel pictures is too much too much clutter. People like to do big, vast panoramas, um, but there's too much information. There's no story, there's no navigatable lines that connect all of the d- different pieces of the image. So you have to narrow it down. Uh, I know a lot of people like to travel light when they do travel photography, but if you can get some something close to a telephoto with you, um, then that will help you. Uh, if you can't zoom with your feet, you know, getting closer to the subject, uh, at least you can eliminate a lot of those distractions and, uh, and, and tell the story that the subject is, is wanting to tell without all of the other noise around it that's distracting the viewer.
1: Absolutely. And, and if you have time to spend more than one day in a place or even multiple hours, depending on the location, like I was just in uh, Maine over the weekend with the workshop group and the little town that we were in in Booth Bay Harbor, we could, you could walk basically around the whole town in 45 minutes or an hour. And so the first day we did that, I had a wide angle lens on. And the second day we did that, I had my basically 70 to 200 equivalent, my 35 to 100. And, and I got 100% different shots So the light. It was kind of an overcast uh, diffuse light both days. So I was able to basically shoot the same things in the same light, but with that different focal length and came back with completely different images.
0: Yeah. And, and so if you were to go out there with a fisheye lens or whatever it happens to be, you would probably end up with a lot of nauseated viewers after using a lens like that for the whole day, but you would get different images. Right. And so uh, whatever the equipment that you have, I mean, sometimes even when you're preparing for a trip, you might think, OK, well, what am I going to put in my bag? Well, look back at what what gear you've used in the past. Uh, you know, you can sort through in Lightroom by the EXIF uh, information and find out, well, you know, when I was in Peru, um, I used, uh, you know, my 50 millimeter lens a lot. OK, well, you know, throw that in your camera bag if you like the results. If you didn't, well, then leave it at home. Um, but in some places, uh, like it, especially when you're traveling in um, in Eastern Europe, in some areas of, of Asia um, and uh, in Africa, you've got to be careful about your camera gear because it is expensive. And, uh, there's a lot of people there that, you know, your gear would be their monthly, if not yearly salary in some places. Like I'm not shooting with simple equipment. I've got the Canon one DX and I've got, you know, a lot of L series glass and all sorts of little accoutrements and, uh, and things. And so, you know, when I'm traveling, I I don't. I don't bring like a, a bright, you know, low pro uh, uh, logoed bag with me that has uh, everything. Um, actually, uh, just if you give me five seconds, Rob, and maybe you could give some filler. It's right behind me. It's just in the closet. I'll show you the bag that I travel with, uh, which is really quite handy for photographers to, uh, to, to have something similar to that.
1: Absolutely. I noticed that uh, I actually wonder a lot of times how much sort of your average Joe knows the difference between a low pro bag and and a, a no-name brand, a Jansport bag or something like that. So, um, so let's see.
0: Well, yeah. This is a standard, like, messenger bag style thing. Yeah. And uh, when I'm traveling, what I do is I just, I, uh, I've glued some uh, uh, Velcro strips on the inside of it. And I just take the inserts from my camera bag and I stick them inside of this bag so that I could separate my lens, my flash, my camera, that kind of thing. Sure. And, um, it, it, it can bulge out quite a bit, but you know, it, it, it's got no noticeable logos and uh, it just kind of slings over my shoulder like any kind of a traveler would have a bag like that with whatever it is that they're traveling with. Sure. And so until I take the camera out of that bag, uh, they, they don't realize that it's a camera bag and, and to disguise your gear as much as possible, I think is, is a huge asset. Um, I remember though, I was using uh, that bag or something similar and a lot of gear uh, crammed in it and I was using the 5D Mark II at the time. And some places I would just take the camera, take a picture, put it right back in the bag like within seconds so that nobody could see what I was doing. And the mode dial would sometimes spin onto like M or something that it wasn't programmed for. And I'd get drastically overexposed or underexposed images. Um, so it's not going to be an ideal situation. You might make some photographic mistakes with it. Uh, but playing it safe with your gear is, uh, is, is a great idea. Um,
1: sure. It's actually a, a kind of an advantage of using mirrorless cameras, the especially the smaller stuff, uh, and sometimes I'll use the less professional-looking cameras just for that reason. You know, I can take it out and get the same image I'll make with my, my GH4 that l- basically looks like a little DSLR, but, um, you know, using the GX7 or the little GM1, these, you're talking like little bitty cameras with interchangeable oh, yeah, lenses. People aren't going
0: to bat an eye at that. Yeah, you know, it just they, looks they'll like they'll a point. Think, oh, camera. well, you know, that's just another small camera. And uh, based on, you know, you could spend many thousands of dollars on, on a very small camera like that. Sure. Um, and it generally won't attract any attention unless it has a red Leica logo on it. <laughs> uh, and so, yeah, you know, it, mirrorless is a great way to, uh, to travel. But me as a photographer that really pushes the limits in certain ways, you know, I've, I'm still relegated to having a large camera body. So that comes along with me on my travels.
1: Sure. And, you know, um, Tenba has a new series of inserts, basically, for doing exactly what you're talking about. I've got a, uh, it's called the BYOB. Uh, I've got, I think, a BYOB 9, and it holds five of my lenses, or six, depending on which lenses they are. And I've actually arranged my camera backpack so this bag fits into it. So I can take these these six lenses, pull them out of the backpack, throw them in just a shoulder bag, like you said. And I've basically, then any bag is a camera bag. I haven't, haven't tried to get my wife to carry it in her purse yet, but, um, that's, <laughs> that may be the next step. Uh. And speaking of wives, is your wife a photographer too?
0: No, uh, she's a wonderful artist. Uh, she does oil paintings. And, uh, and so she offers me a lot of inspiration and, uh, she's never really, uh, been so keen on photography and maybe that's a good thing. So we each have our own separate, uh, art forms. Um, but, uh. She, uh, she always gives me advice. She's my assistant when I'm out doing these kinds of things. Uh, and nice. it, it's always good to have somebody that is willing, like when you're traveling with other people, uh, if they're not a photographer, you might be in trouble because they're not going to wait for you to get a shot. They're not going to stick around for the five minutes. It might take you to line things up or wait for the exact, you know, uh, red car to, to go by, to complete your image. Um, but she, uh, over the last couple of years, as she sees, how I create an image and what the end result is and the kind of effort that's required. She understands that patience is, uh, is an element of that. And, uh, you know, I, 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 married the right woman for sure.
1: Nice. Yeah. It's a, it's a little bit of a give and take. I've got two young kids and we travel with them just as much, but, um, you know, there's a lot of times when I have to put in that time with the kids. I can't just, you know, run off and make pictures when when the kids need to eat and that kind of thing. So, um, I'm, I'm really, I'm looking forward to the time when my son's old enough to come along and be my assistant and, um, you know, help of workshops and that kind of stuff. It's, I try not to think about it, it just in case he's not into it, you know, I don't want to keep my hopes up.
0: Well, and, and so, you know, we- when a lot of people are traveling, you're, you're, most people, if not everybody, they're not going to be alone. You'll be traveling with family or friends. And unless you're traveling with friends that, that you know specifically because of photography or you're traveling on a photo workshop of some kind, um, you will have people around you that will detest you after a number of days, you know, slowing everybody down because you're waiting to take this picture or that picture. Um, so sometimes you just have to, uh, to, to pass by some moments. Knowing full well that you'll you'll wait and linger on that absolutely perfect shot of the day. And if you only do that once or twice a day, I think you'll you'll have everybody else comfortable and you're not going to annoy anybody. Um, And one of the mistakes a lot of people do when they travel is they just take too many pictures and they take pictures of everything that might possibly be interesting. But I, I apply the same approach that I do when I might be photographing waterfalls per se. I'm gonna walk around, my camera's going to stay in the bag, uh, and I'm going to be mentally making compositions in my head the entire time. I don't need to be taking the photographs. Um, and that gets me thinking not only when I'm looking for photographs, but even when I'm not, that kind of mental process sticks with you a little bit. And, uh, and if you can kind of train yourself to do that, then when you find that, that moment that, that, or location that has that opportunity, then, you know, pull yourself aside, say, okay, guys, give me five minutes. I'll catch up with you and, uh, and, and make your magic. And then, you know, you, you weren't slowing everybody down the entire time before that.
1: Yeah, that's great advice. And my wife is, she understands at this point that if I do have to stop and, and like you said, say I, I'm going to need a minute that it's, it's important that the lights great. It's, it's the perfect shot. It's, um, something worth stopping for, because like you said, I don't stop and just grab every shot that might be okay. You know and the other thing when you're traveling is you have to have an experience you know i always tell uh, my clients and students whatever you have to have an ex if you're not having an experience a good experience then your photography is not going to be that good either you know if oh, you're running yeah, around yeah. trying to collect images then then how interesting is your story that you're trying to tell anyway you know you're it's, just
0: it's the same thing when you're at a concert and you've got all the people that are holding up their phones and they're trying to record it well now your experience is looking at your phone instead of sitting back and enjoying the, the, the music. And, um, and, and I remembered when I was, um, uh, geez, where were we, we were in Brasov, Romania and, uh, it's a, it's an old medieval city, uh, nearby where, uh, Chateau Bran is, which is also known as Dracula's castle. So, you know, we went to some of those places. It was a lot of fun. Um, but, uh, we, we just decided to go for a walk at night and sat down on a park bench overlooking the city. And all of a sudden, uh, the main opera house, Uh, has speakers that are pointed outward throughout the city. And so there's live opera being broadcast through the entire uh, town. And we're just sitting there. Uh, The stars are above us. And there's live opera music playing. Like, you couldn't have planned it better. Um, It's serendipitous. It's the experience. And then the next day, we were both so inspired. uh, And uh, we didn't mind climbing, like, a vertical mile to get into one of the castles we wanted to see because sure. we just we, we felt like we had so much energy because we took a moment and just enjoyed what we were doing. And photography didn't have to be a part of that.
1: Absolutely. And I think traveling with my kids has helped me, um, get into that a little bit more, but you know, I can get into the experience of traveling and sharing things with my children. Um, and I, I, I like traveling and sharing with my wife as well, but just with the whole family, it's such a different experience that, um, Maybe there's just more of an experience when there's more people. You know what I mean? Just like traveling with a group of friends. It's the same kind of thing. You, you have a different experience that way. Um, so you mentioned traveling and hanging out in these places at night. Is it, uh, you feel pretty safe over there? Or are there areas that you've been in Eastern Europe that you maybe wouldn't go back with your wife? Just the two of you? Or
0: uh, Well, I mean... Uh... Yeah, there was a few places where you know, at night, walking along the streets, you know, and there's people walking on the streets behind you, you get a little paranoid. Um, uh, but for the most part, walking on the streets in Detroit would give you the same feeling. I mean, it, it's not, uh, it's not like you're you're kind of going into another world. It's just the the character of the people that are around you, sure. and you can judge that by the day and by the night, and you just kind of play it by ear. Um, but I would say <laughs> when we were in, um, uh, where were we in, we were in the, the capital of, uh, of Romania and, uh, on every street, I don't know what it was, but on every street corner, there was an armed guard and we went into, uh, we, we went into a pharmacy to buy some toothpaste and there was an armed guard with a, a, a shotgun, uh, in front of the prescription cabinet. And so, uh, well, the, uh, The fact that all of those guards were there might make you feel safe, you kind of question why the heck is the security so high? What is going on here? Um, And I've been told afterwards that it's not normally like that. It must have been something different. But, uh, yeah, there's a few red flags that might go off here and there. And don't ignore them. Pay attention. If, If you have any concern whatsoever, be careful. No, don't take any risks. Like Going into an abandoned building is one risk, but uh, you know, getting robbed at uh, gunpoint or knife point is another kind of risk. And you don't want to put yourself in a scenario uh, where where that kind of stuff can happen.
1: Absolutely. In this little sleepy beach town that we like to go to in Costa Rica, the the supermarket has a guy that hangs out in the front of the store with basically shorts and a golf shirt with his uh, mirrored aviator sunglasses and a pump shotgun. And he, he just <laughs> He's the security guy. And the funny thing is people I go there with, they always are worried about that guy. I'm like, that's the security guy. You got to worry about why he's there. You know, that's the good question. It's not like, oh, what's that guy doing with the shotgun? Well, he's protecting the store. That's, that's the easy question. But why does he feel like he needs a shotgun in this little, you know, dirt road, surf town, you know, in Costa Rica. It's pretty funny.
0: Yeah, well, and you know, I I've, I've I know a number of photographers that uh, in certain parts of the world, you know, they uh, they leave their camera gear in their car and they go into the gas station to pay for gas. And as soon as they're out of sight, somebody smashes the window, steals their gear uh, and not just the gear, mind you, but all the images that they had made up to that point in the trip. Right. And uh, yeah, you know what? That that happens. That happens here, too, mind you. But some sure. people, if they know that you're a photographer or they know that you have valuables, they'll trail you. And uh, and so. If you're paranoid about that, they sell these uh, sort of like um, wire nets that you can put your camera gear in that locks it to your car and that somebody can't steal it, uh, at least not nearly as easily. Yeah. There's lots of solutions for that. I know that my insurance uh, deductible is much higher if my camera gear gets stolen out of an unattended vehicle for exactly that reason, because Mm. that's uh, one of the most common places where people will steal your camera stuff from.
1: Sure, and and in a lot of countries, um, Costa Rica is one of them. the The rental cars are basically all the same model, and the people that live there don't drive those models of cars. So it's really obvious if you can look at a parking lot and tell who the tourists are, who who's renting the cars. So that's where the thieves go, you know. So keep keep that in mind too. If if the only white, you know, whatever, uh, gosh, what's the name of those things? The only white Daihatsu Bigos are, are rented by tourists. Then don't leave your stuff in a white rented bico you know what i mean
0: yeah we what did we have when we were in bulgaria It was a 1997 suzuki boleno i think Mm -hmm. uh rust all over the place it had some trouble on the highways you know it felt like it was going to fall apart when i brought it up the speed on the freeway um you know when you park in a mass of cars with that thing you're just one of the bunch you know you're (laughs) you don't stand out so don't go for a really nice car rental either you know, I mean you want something reliable, mind you, but you don't want to stick out like a sore thumb.
1: Absolutely. Good advice. Well, cool, man. Um, I'm gonna wrap up the episode with my usual five questions. So the first one's about your gear and you mentioned your your one DX, but what's your current photo gear setup and how has that changed in the last year or so?
0: Well, the one DX uh, and and most of my lenses have stayed the same. I've got uh, the twenty four to one hundred five uh, L lens from Canon. That is my travel lens. It stays on my camera ninety percent of the time when I'm traveling, um, but I might bring along uh, like my twenty four millimeter f one point four for some nice uh, um, shallow depth of field and landscape kind of stuff. It kind of covers both those uh, uh, both those parks. I, if you've known my work, Rob, you know, I do a lot of macro stuff. So I've got the Canon MPE 65 millimeter macro lens that gets stuck in my camera bag. Uh, and I like to do night photography whenever the skies are clear. And I've got the option and I love to use a fisheye lens for that. So that goes in my camera bag when I'm traveling. Um, for tripods and things, I've, I've got some really nice, heavy duty, sturdy tripods. But um, when I'm traveling around, I, I use the, uh, the Manfrotto Be Free tripod. Uh, and it's, it's a wonderful piece of gear that folds up really nicely. doesn't weigh a whole lot. It can, uh, it can hold all my heavy gear along the way. And, uh, and so a good tripod is, is another uh, interesting thing to have. And, uh, aside from the one DX, I've got an infrared camera modified for, uh, infrared and one modified for ultraviolet photography. And depending on where I'm going and what I'm doing and how much I want to carry, I might bring one or two of those along as well. Cool. What camera do you have
1: modified for infrared?
0: A uh, uh, 5D Mark II uh, for the infrared and also for the uh, the ultraviolet. It was my previous camera before I upgraded. Figured yeah. I'd keep it as a backup, collect the dust for a year, said, well, and I can sell it or I can do something with it. And uh, that opened up a whole new world. If you've got a camera kicking around somewhere and you don't know what to do with it, man, do an infrared conversion. That is, it's, just, it's, it's wonderful. Uh, it makes your own backyard a new playground for you.
1: Absolutely. And especially in this day and age when everything's updated every other year, chances are you've got last year's model or the year before that, that uses all the same glass that you have. So you just throw a body cap on it and throw it in the bag. I have a Lumix GX7 that's that's converted to infrared. I love it. It's great. Um, so what do you do on the road to make your hotel room feel like a home away from home?
0: Uh, well, I mean... I- I, I often travel with my wife. And so, you know, uh, you know that helps. wherever we are, you know, you've got that, uh, that, that comfort, you know, the conversation, the, the, the laughter that you can share about the stories of the day. Um, you know, in, in those kinds of countries, uh, it's always very well connected. And so I'm, I'm always, you know, keeping up on social media, posting things all over the place. And so, uh, you know, you can just buy a SIM card and throw it into a phone. And I think like for six gigabytes of data, It cost me like 20 leva, which is like in US, probably like 10 bucks. And so staying connected is really easy. And, uh, so, you know, I've got my Microsoft, uh, the, the surface pro three that I bring around as a laptop kind of thing. And so that's powerful enough to do any editing if I need to, uh, good enough to write all my emails and stay connected to everybody. Although I try to avoid as much of that as possible because I want to stay in the moment and I don't want to get distracted with the everyday life that's cluttering around me anyhow. Um, but, uh, you know, I I, that's how I stay uh, comfortable. If I'm away from that for too long, (laughs) it's pretty difficult. And we might save this for another show, Rob. I don't want to drag it on, but uh, I was uh, was traveling through the Yukon wilderness. I've done that a number of times now. You have no connection to the outside world. Uh, We're in the middle of nowhere. We have got a satellite phone for emergencies in case somebody gets mauled by a bear. Um, But World War III could break out, and we would be none the wiser. And so in certain places, man, it, it, when you are disconnected, like completely disconnected from the world, like you realize that you go through withdrawal. There's anxiety. There's, there's frustration for at least a couple of days before you start to relax and have a moment of clarity. So yeah. I guess you've got to keep that addiction fed. For sure. Anyhow.
1: Yeah, you know, it's funny. I don't mind it until I'm trying to FaceTime with my kids before they go to bed. Yeah. And then when, when we were in Maine, we were on, on uh, Pemaquid Point and I had 4G service, and I'm trying to FaceTime with the kids, and I know they're having dinner and about to go to bed. Won't go through, won't go through. And I, like you said, I'm just like, oh, I'm getting stressed out. And uh, we had to go to the, we went to a restaurant up the road, and I got on their Wi-Fi, and it was, uh, it's, uh, it's crazy how, and, and that's different because I, you know, it's my kids, and I know they get kind of, they get stressed out when I'm not at home too. So there's a lot of other factors. But man, you get used to being able to just roll over and check your email whenever you want, and it's. Uh, it gets tough to go do without well from a photography standpoint what's your favorite place that you've visited lately
0: lately well i mean uh geez uh, it would probably be a lot of the images that i had just showed you from bulgaria that was that the last trip that i had made specifically for photography and adventures and that kind of stuff uh was bulgaria and bozalja that uh UFO shaped building, I think was one of the the pinnacles, but there was a lot of really cool stuff. And one of the sort of awe inspiring moments that I had was just like to take a step back and enjoy things like, um, Bulgaria has a lot of cave systems as well as as mountains and and that kind of stuff. And so some of these caves are just uh, really quite remarkable with um, windows, like openings in the ceilings. And there's like a forest growing underneath inside of this cave structure. And uh, so when I'm walking through uh, places like this, I'm just taken aback. And, you know, if I could say this one in addition to what I've just talked about, yeah. exploring caves and natural formations like this. This is this That's is a, right in my wheelhouse.
1: That, that is that looks like a movie set. That doesn't look like anything natural at all. That's incredible.
0: <laughs> so, yeah, I hope that answers the question.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Great. Well, besides uh, besides your next trip uh, that you're going, uh, that you're taking with your wife, what are you looking forward to visiting and shooting next?
0: Uh, well, okay, well, I got a ton of great ideas here because we just bought this new house. Still haven't uh, put together my uh, my office and studio stuff, but the backyard has uh, award-winning perennial gardens, and you know, a fish pond and fruit trees and all sorts of wonderful things. So uh, that's really going to gear things up for macro photography. Uh, and I've got that ultraviolet camera that I really want to explore flower photography uh, in in ultraviolet. So very cool. Um, there's some really fun experiments uh, that are going to be happening, and I think I had mentioned it on uh, on this weekend photo. Um, I'm going to be exploring some, uh, painting techniques, uh, that will allow me to paint photographs using, uh, the same techniques that were just recently rediscovered and previously used, uh, well before the invention of photography by Johannes Vermeer.
1: Yeah. I'm, I'm really excited to see what you come up with with that for sure. Are you going to do any, uh, bird blinds on your property?
0: I, I don't know. I, the property is not that big. Uh, so it may be, depending that there's a corner that I could kind of, uh, create a little stage in. Uh, and, and we'll see what happens there. But um, there's a wonderful sunroom solarium uh, that is uh, right, uh, right across from uh, some, some feeders. And so if I could set the camera up uh, in, in that area and maybe just turn that into a bird blind uh, and uh, kind of create a, a little bit of a, a structure there, I, I think we could have some fun with it.
1: Very cool. Well, thanks a lot for being on the show, Don. Um, where can listeners find out more about you online?
0: Uh, well, uh, my website is where everything's connected to. So uh, doncom.ca, d-o-n-k-o-m.ca, uh, and slash workshops. If you want to see any of the stuff that I'm doing, you know, in my own backyard here, we'll have day long macro photography workshops, which will have some seminar critique and uh, shooting experiences. Uh, like I'd mentioned earlier about seeing lines and shapes and colors, we've got one coming up, uh, photographing some of the local waterfalls in this area over a weekend and doing some astrophotography to really hone in on those skills so uh, check that out and of course uh, me and you Rob are both on uh, This Week in Photo and other places online and, yep. uh, and so as I always say to people you know don't be a stranger you know if you want to get in touch if you want to chat about any of the stuff we talked about here please do I love to carry these conversations on
1: very cool well thanks again for coming on man and have a safe trip thank you and if you like what you hear on your itinerary please tell all your friends about it and stop by iTunes and leave us some positive feedback and don't forget to connect with me on Twitter at your itinerary thanks a lot we'll see you next week
0: You've been listening to Your Itinerary with Rob Knight. Head over to thisweekinphoto.com to check out the other TWIP shows and get on our mailing list. Become a TWIP member to get exclusive benefits and member pricing on TWIP products and workshops. Start planning your next adventure, and we'll see you next week on Your Itinerary for travel and photography.